the mistake they made was taking us to their house. First off, letting us know where they live. Um, <laughs> Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right, so we've just hit the record button. Kim Roberts of the Westport Winery is here with us today. Kim, thank you for making the time and welcome to this episode. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. So I would love it if you would kind of give us the backstory to Westport Winery. How did you guys come up with the idea. How'd you get started? Because what little I know is that before you started this, you were living in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a, actually a great story. My husband and I met here in Westport. I had been working on the fishing boats, putting my way through architecture school, decided to open a business in Westport as a designer. And he owned the largest scuba diving business in Hawaii and come to Westport to build a boat at Westport shipyard. Westport Shipyard was my biggest client as an architect. And he um, eventually said, do you want to move to Hawaii? Thinking he was going to save this poor harbor chick from, you know, life on the Washington coast. And I just love it here. I love the people, uh, the scenery, the activities, the food. And I said, no. And he said, well, I promise to bring you back if you will move to Hawaii for a while. So I moved to Hawaii he was there for 21 years, and eventually when our kids were in school, we moved back here to give them a little better education. We moved to Leavenworth, which is one of the most beautiful, amazing, vibrant uh, towns in the state. We just loved it there. We had great friends. We had a farm, but it snows there a lot. Yes, it, yes, it does. <laughs> and um, the last winter, we didn't see our five-foot fence post for a month, and I uh, decided we were going to move. So we bought a 240 acre farm that had, uh, like our farm in Leavenworth had not been farmed in 50 years and moved over there, brought it back into production, discovered it still snowed a lot in the Spokane area. So when the kids got to college, we moved back to the coast. So that was essentially when our deal was met is that it took us 18 years to get back here. My husband and I at that point had been commuting to our Hawaii business for many years and then sold it to our employees. So when we moved to Grace Harbor, we bought a beautiful home on the water. We were fully retired and we were bored out of our minds. Well, so going to divulge a little bit here based on reading. So what I'm noticing is a trend, though. You've taken not one, not two, but three places that were not functioning and turned them into functional farms. And in this case, now a functional winery. Mm -hmm. Why do you go to so much work? (laughs) We were the farming version of fixer upper before there was fixer upper. Um, Well, for me, the Westport community, Grace Harbor overall has been like a secret mistress my whole life. I mean, I love it here. And I just, I pined to be back here. When we had our, our McMansion on the water, though, we were bored there. You know, we're, we're earth people, we're hands-on, tactile people. So we found this piece of property where the winery is, and it was covered with scotch broom, uh, alder, and Himalayan blackberry, so bad that we found two full-size bulldozers on the property covered with vegetation. So we, we began clearing the property, 
knowing that we wanted to, to farm something. We went to meet with our county extension agent, the WSU program. Uh, his name's Don Tapio, and he heard our story about us rehabilitating farms and owning this large tourism business in Hawaii. And he said, well, the only way to make it in agriculture in this county is to do agritourism. So you should plant a vineyard and open a winery. It'll be historic. And it was, um, it was the statement, it will be historic, that resonated with me. It was like in Jerry Maguire when, when she says, you had me at hello. That's what that was. And um, it didn't resonate with my husband as quickly. It actually took a while. But he's a pretty darn good business partner. And he agreed to do this. And we thought, well, we'll plant a few acres of grapes. Um, Dr. Greg Jones from OSU had uh, done some studies that suggested it was viable out in this location. And we'll have kind of a little fruit stand on the corner, just this tiny little family business. And even though I came here with this architecture license, the needs for the county and compliance were larger than we planned. It's a really polite way to put it. And we ended up with a commercial kitchen and a parking, paved parking lot that um, would park 50 cars. And the whole thing just started to explode. We planted the, the grapes, but we were the first winery in the county and our community here was thirsty. And they they came here and they rewarded us with their um, with their purchases. But at a certain point, people would come in and they'd say, "Well, I've got two bottles of that, two bottles of that, two bottles of that." They were treating the wine like it was precious, and we were saying, "No, drink it. You know, drink it now. Drink lots of it." Um, and so, as our solution, we started doing culinary classes because people also saying, "Well, there's nothing to do in Grace Harbor." So we either had a free lecture, a culinary class, a mystery dinner theater, a festival, live music. We did something every weekend for three years until my team was pretty much ready to get rid of me because they were exhausted because it was this constant, um, get ready, let's go. The culinary classes did so well that the, the guests said, well, you really need to open a restaurant. And pretty much the last thing we wanted to do was open a restaurant. But when we'd had our dive business in Hawaii, we'd hired this really expensive consultant to come in, do an analysis for us, tell us what we needed to do. And um, now it seems self-evident, but he said, find out what your customer wants and give it to them. And that has been our business philosophy ever since. So when they said, open a restaurant, we opened a restaurant. And then they said, oh man, your desserts are really good. You should have a bake. So we added a bakery. And as a, as a designer, um, I gradually started taking little bits of the property and putting in gardens and use the, use the gardens as my canvas. That's what I was painting on. And we were starting to see that the grapes weren't viable. Went back in, planted a whole second crop of grapes, grew them out. We never did harvest a single grape off the property. We went back in and planted uh, berries and discovered that most of them weren't viable here either. And at that point, I just started planting more gardens. So people were saying, where'd you get your plants? You should have a nursery. So we added a nursery. Um, and that that's kind of that, uh, that road 
I don't know. It's not the, whatever the opposite of road to redemption is. So. Well, I have a couple of questions based on this so far. So first off, my first question, I think you just kind of answered is I didn't, and I know very little about wine. The fact that I know that wine is made out of grapes is about the extent of my, my, my scientific knowledge of grapes. But I just thought it was interesting that being on the coast, that grapes would do well. And you kind of just said that they, they, they don't. Okay. Yeah. We, we gave so, it a really good shot, but what we did instead, we began working with um, families in Eastern Washington that their whole livelihood is growing grapes. And this was an important lesson. Growing grapes is distinctly different than making wine. Very few uh, companies do both well at the same time. And in, uh, let's see, we opened the winery in 08. In 2012, I took an appointment to serve on the Washington Wine Commission. And that uh, allowed me to sit at the table with the real superstars of the industry. I was definitely the fish out of water. Um, but getting to meet the very best growers in the state, the very best winemakers in the state, the best marketers in the state, those built those relationships. At the same time, we've been sending our wines out to competitions and getting good awards. And when you start um, pairing great methodology with even better base product, you rise to the top really quickly. So in 2011, we were named Washington Winery to Watch by Wine Press Northwest, which was a huge surprise to us because we're in the middle of nowhere. You know, we're not in Woodenville. We're not in Yakima. We're not Walla Walla. We're in the middle of nowhere and people didn't know what to think of us. And so we focused a lot on entering those competitions to prove that, you know, we're legit. You know, we may be in a weird place, but we're legit. And so uh, my husband and my daughter drive truck all during harvest. Um, let's see, we run between 20 and 25 trips um, from September to November hauling fruit back here where it's all uh, crushed, uh, pressed, fermented, and bottled. So we are we are actually the real deal. Wow. So you're, you're using then central Washington and eastern Washington grapes for, for what you're creating. Okay. How did you, well, did you know much about wine before you got started? Well, that's a sweet way to ask that. Um, no, we didn't know anything. Like if there was a negative number of wine, not, we, we were the people that would go to the grocery store when our neighbors would ask us over to dinner and um, we'd buy the cheapest wine on the bottom shelf and take it as our hostess gift, not knowing anymore. And then we'd sit and politely drink some of it. And when we'd leave, we'd be like, man, we hate wine. It tastes gross. Um, and of course, our job now is making wine that tastes great. Um, so we had, we had a pretty steep learning curve. Yeah, that's, that's an understatement. I think, I mean, if, if winemaking can be so complex mm -hmm. and it's, it's art and science, in my opinion, what little yeah, I know of it, it's, it's, no, you're, it's, you're art, it's an right. art and science. Art and craft. And yeah. um, the company, our company has always had a consulting winemaker. Because even okay. as we learned how to properly identify traits and flaws and characteristics in wine, 
we wanted to have that double check. And so we've been really fortunate to have um, several amazing consultants. But right now we've had uh, John Bookwalter from Bookwalter Wines as our consulting winemaker, and he's just become a tremendous friend. It's a great example of uh, collaboration uh, versus uh, competition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we try to, I think, a little bit outdo each other in crazy new ideas and trying to, you know, challenge each other in a positive way. So I'm going to recap a little bit because this, I find this to kind of be amusing. And I think as I am getting to know you a little bit, this is interesting. So you retired, you were bored. So you decided to tear up a bunch of blackberries in, in Scotch broom. Okay. Mm -hmm. Easy work. Mm -hmm. Decided to open a winery. Mm -hmm. Then you decide to have a, a restaurant in a bakery. But that's not all. You've done more. I mean, you've got more things going on here. So that's what I think is kind of interesting and entertaining to me is that we haven't yeah, that, really. That, that wasn't enough. Yeah, that wasn't enough. Now you've got more. And we're going to get to some more of that here in a little bit. But I'd like to ask you, so did you design your buildings and all that as the architect, did you design them? Yeah. Okay. I, I've had this really great and rare opportunity. I don't think it was since um, Frank Lloyd Wright did the whole Johnson and Johnson project in Wisconsin, that an architect gets to start from the ground up from the buildings, the packaging on the products, um, every aspect of our property and business. I, I design from advertising, um, just everything. And it, it's really, really fun because for someone like me that gets bored, it helps me to stay less bored. Um, it's also allowed me to kind of acknowledge that most of the time I'm the weirdest person in the room and my kind of weird is it's okay. And it allows me to do this. So I'm looking at, I'm on your wine list on your website now to, to purchase wine. So all that art that's there, is that you for the most no, part or no, not on the wine. Um, okay. Some of the art is mine. Uh, some of the photos are my husband's. He was a really wonderful underwater photographer from Hawaii. And, okay. and he also was a nationally rated surfer in the 1970s. So we, um, when we moved back to Grace Harbor, we started heading back to California to surf some of his favorite spots. And while he was surfing at a spot called Sea Street in Ventura, California, he was sitting on his board, hanging on to a, a kelp head. And a guy paddled by him and said, you know, that's cheating. And that's because that way the current wasn't blowing him off the, the surf spot all the time. And, and Blaine looked at him, he says, yeah, and I'm not above it. And so here's <laughs> a couple of, um, let's just say, uh, more senior surfers, a little, little long in the tooth in the surfing world. They sat out there on, on the break and, and surfed and got to know each other. And when Blaine came in, it was like a little kid on the playground. He's like, this is my friend, Daryl. And Daryl <laughs> invited us to go to uh, a place that he surfed for um, a burrito shop because he was a competitive surfer and was still um, sponsored. And of course, at that point, Daryl was in his mid sixties. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Daryl's in his mid seventies now still surfing competitively. The mistake they made was taking us to their house. First off, letting us know where they live. Um, <laughs> and then showing me his artwork. And I went through his portfolio and just like, 
took one piece after the next and said, can I, can I buy this? Can I buy this? Can I buy this? And uh, I'd say about half of the art on our labels is original Daryl Easter art from Camarillo, California, Wayne Surf Buddy. And that's a great story. Yeah. And it, it's just, you know, that random happenstance of being a Washington surfer out on a California surf break. And some guy says, Hey, you're cheating. Wow. All right. That's a great story, but it wouldn't be an episode if I didn't bounce around and I just saw something on your wines that I have to ask about. Okay. And I just, and I've just lost it. So we're going to have to stall while Scott finds it. You have a, are you selling a bottle of wine in a float? I am. Okay. So that's cool. Thank you. That's a really cool idea. How are you getting I actually the own the trademark on that personally. Um, oh, very cool. I, I thought about what is it that, that people want when they come to the beach and everybody wants to find a Japanese fishing float. You know, those are floating out there and they show up and it's one of the most prized possessions. It was right about the same time that our, our Washington State Liquor Agent had said, you know, you've got a restaurant, but you're not doing spirits. Why don't you make a, a high alcohol wine that you can kind of use in place of spirits until the next um, the next year starts so that you don't have to pay this expensive spirits license? He was The state of Washington has actually been a great partner with us in every way. And so I thought, okay, so I'm going to make this wine called Float. It's a high alcohol Riesling. I'm going to design a wine bottle to put it in that looks like a Japanese fishing float. And as I designed it, if I put the fill spout on the top, it just looked like a little bomb, you know, like a cartoon bomb. <laughs> so I, I put the fill spout uh, down to the side, and then we work with a local glass blowers, um, Johnny and Darlene Camp at Opal Art Glass, and they hand blow all of these bottles for us. So we offer this float wine in both a traditional wine bottle and in the hand-blown glass float. Originally, we did it just in that sea glass green. As time went on, now there's, you know, at Christmas, at, at Halloween, at Easter, and then a whole array where I just look at Johnny and say, make whatever color you want. Just have fun. And so we have uh, just hundreds of beautiful floats that people come and buy. So they get a full bottle of wine. Um, if you were as good in geometry as I was in high school, you would doubt that. Um, well, I was going to ask you the science behind this because, yeah, I wouldn't have. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you just said Opal, right? O- Opal Art Class. Mm-hmm. They're in Cosmopolis. Yes. <gasps> You've got Opal Art Class in your office. Yes. I um, I found them. A long story. I, I ended up in Cosmopolis for business and I drove past this, past their storefront and I they had all these. <laughs> quasi floats, if you will, with the, the LED lights in them. And I just thought they were uh, really interesting. So I went in there and that came home with me. And there's a, a vase over her um, behind my monitor, if you will, that I have. So when you said that, okay, so that's awesome. So they're, yeah. they're blowing. So these are hand blown mm-hmm. pieces of art mm-hmm. that you're filling with liquid art mm-hmm. and people can take home. That's, that's very cool. I've never seen anything like that. That's very, very cool. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah, no, that, but my ignorance is going to show what is a fortified Riesling? No, it's not ignorance at all. Uh. It's a really good question. And, and almost everybody uh, that comes in is asking about that. What it is, is we add a product called neutral grape spirits. 
And those that's essentially hard alcohol made from grapes. We add oh. to the Riesling to bring up its alcohol content and still retain its wine classification. We bring it up to 22% alcohol. That's why we call it vodka from the vine. Because we, wow. we make cocktails, any cocktail that you'd use a, a clear uh, spirit in. Um, so for instead of a mojito, because it's float, we make a flojito. And we, we live uh, here in Markham. And so it's a Markham Rita instead of a Margarita. Okay. Um, we do an Aloha Colada. And I think a little drink we call the Stop, Grope, and Roll. Uh, and it's got a Pixie Sticks rib on it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So after burning your crew out with multiple events week yeah. after week for three years, um, you gave them a break. Yeah. We just started a regular restaurant and <laughs> that's really hard work. And it's, it's really hard to find your groove. Have you, did you have wow. restaurant experience before? My husband and daughter and I had owned a little place um, in Airway Heights when we were in Spokane called the Farmer's Daughter Bakery and Mercantile. So we okay. had literally just the tiny taste of restaurant experience and it left a bitter, a bitter taste in our mouth. So we weren't anxious to do it. Um, but, you know, here we are. And in I think 2016 or 17, we were voted number two winery restaurant in the United States through okay. USA Today. Um, so I think we've figured out how to do it. I would say so. And I, uh, in 2017, we were named one of the top 20 most admired wineries in North America. I like the name, the Sea Glass Grill. I think that's a, that's a cool name. Until COVID, um, we get, we used to give everybody their own piece of sea glass. Uh, with, oh, okay. Because uh, we wanted to be able to take home memories from the beach. But once once COVID hit, like everybody else, everything changed. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, so that we can use that as our segue. So you also have a distillery. If but wait, there's more. Mm-hmm. And during COVID, you guys started making hand sanitizer. Yeah. Yeah. So well, um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I think in 2016, I was diagnosed with cancer and it was not a good cancer. Um, and when I, when I got done with treatment, I realized I needed to do a little bit more living, maybe a little less work. So my daughter and I started traveling, leaving our, uh, my husband home, taking care of the dogs and cats and horses and, and people. And we would do these 48 hour trips. We'd, oh. we'd say, well, let's go to Texas wine country because we don't want to leave dad home with all the critters for too long. We'll take, we'll go for 48 hours or let's go to Sonoma. Let's go to Napa. Um, and so uh, at one point we did spend a little bit longer. We went back to Maui where my daughter was born and we were scuba diving with our business. And we went up country and went to uh, Sammy Hagar's distillery up there called uh, Highly Miley, and to another place called Ocean Vodka. And Carrie and I just really liked it. Came home and said, uh, we really want to add a distillery. And so <laughs> we were able to, to buy a used still and hired a consultant to teach us distilling. And next thing you knew, we had um, 
we're Ocean's Daughter Distillery. That was the name that she and I came up with because we're such water people, you know, scuba divers and the whole bit. And with our wines over the years, we've donated a portion of the proceeds of each wine to a different local charity. So our families donated over $500,000 to organizations here um, in and near Grace Harbor. When we opened the distillery, we wanted to take some of those proceeds and donate them as well. And I'm not exactly sure how it all came about, but one day I thought um, that we should open a mermaid museum. So um, my husband being this great underwater photographer, I was able to use his imagery and the mermaid museum is dedicated to teaching ocean ecology from seashore to seafloor immersed in mermaid mythology, uniting oceanic cultures. Cause we found that all oceanic cultures have this mermaid myth. We're in a world that could use um, more unity uh, we want, because we're ocean people, we've worked on and in the water our whole lives. We know that not everybody has the desire, the ability, or the opportunity to do that. So we want to share that underwater experience. Uh, and just doing an ocean ecology museum would probably not be as interesting as one with mermaid mythology. It's the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. So we decided to to dedicate some of the proceeds from Ocean's Daughter Distillery to building the museum, and then COVID hit. Um, and the first thing the feds did is they gave us, all of us small dis distillers, um, the opportunity to get into the hand sanitizer business because it's a different license and permit than what we are used to having. So um, we, we closed everything just like everybody else like on, on March 15th um, and about three days later, we began distilling 24 seven for the next month. And first thing we did was make uh, sanitizer for all of our local first responders. And we were able to um, provide law enforcement and um, the EMTs and firefighters with free hand sanitizer. And then we began selling it ourselves, even though we were closed, we were doing cur curbside. We were selling little three and a half ounce bottles. Um, and it was, it was a very uh, crazy and stressful time. People were anxious, they were appreciative, but they were scared, and at least we could do something. And then we got one of the PPP loans, brought our staff back to work, but there was, there was no work to be done. So they all went out and worked in the gardens until we could reopen our doors a couple months later. So uh, COVID has been interesting. I always tell people we've had to um, pivot so much that we've become dizzy sometimes. That, that you know, one, one day you're allowed to have a grocery store. So, you know, we sell gourmet foods here and it's our, in our gift shop. So we're a grocery store. You know, one day you're allowed to be a restaurant. Okay, now we're a restaurant. And whatever it is, we had this diversification within our um, business model that allowed us to be, and our team, really nimble. Because all of our team members um, learn a variety of different skills. So, you know, my chefs can work the tasting bar. Um, my tasting bar people can be servers in the restaurant. And that kind of flexibility and teamwork is um, what 
actually allowed us to be successful during a really difficult year. How big is your team on that? You know, in, in a range. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. it could change tomorrow. There, uh, it usually runs right about 20, but um, the Mermaid Museum has been such a big success in just the month that it's been open that I hired 11 new people last week. So over 50% growth. <laughs> That's a lot of growth. Yeah. Hiring's fun. Easy. No problems. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's pretty much the best part of my job. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the distillery a little bit more. So what okay. did you when you started it, when you launched it, what was your what was your what was your vision for it? What were you guys going to create? Because you create a wide variety now. So what did I you do. start with? It well, I kind of reverted back to what happened when we opened the wineries. We started with 12 wines, figuring not everybody likes the same thing. And then as our guests came in and said, well, you know what, I'd really like this or I'd really like that. And then we revert back to our base philosophy, find out what the customer wants and give it to them. So instead of being a winery that has three different Syrah, we have um, elegant and classic red wines, um, light and um, beautiful white wines. We do fruit blends. We do sparkling wines. We have wines that are almost made for beer drinkers, you know, the, the wines that are the gateway drugs. Um, and it's it's been so successful, we have 40 different choices. So once we did, did the distillery, I kind of thought, you know, I, I need to make sure I meet all those choices for people. So we make um, agave spirits, which is what um, most people um, would purchase that would be called tequila if it came from the tequila region of Mexico. Uh, rum, whiskey, gin, vodka, brandy, and liqueur. So wow. we, we kind of make them all. And then within those categories, especially vodka, and you know, I'm not going to lie to you, I, I do like vodka a lot. Um, we have one uh, plain vodka called Nayada, which is the name of mermaids in Russia because I would revert these names back to their country of origin for that type of spirit. Um, and then we have 11 flavored vodkas and our gin is called Mirman. Uh, gin is said to have originated in Holland and Mirman's the name, name of mermaid in Dutch. And then uh, the uh, wine barrel aged uh, agave rum and whiskey. So just a little bit different take on those spirits in terms of aging back into kind of our original commodity that we make and then some flavored ones in those too. Okay. So I'm going to put you on the spot now. Sorry. This is the bus backing over you. I'm going to ask you, so do you like wine now, now that you own a winery, do you have a more developed palate? How about that? Yeah, I have a much more developed palate. I do not drink wine um, as a recreation because I want it to be my job. And when I taste wine, I'm doing analysis. And so um, I, for whatever reason, that became my distinction. I drink wine for my job and I drink vodka for recreation. Okay. Are you more partial to red or white wine? Or do you have a preference? I don't have a preference. I have a very strong preference for extremely well-made wine. Okay. Um, it, I, I have actually a, a pretty good palate 
even though I'm less educated than I probably should or could be in terms of being a winemaker, but I can generally um, find flaws in wine and I can generally identify um, superior wines. And so I just try to keep that palate um, really pure. Okay. And you've already disclosed them that vodka is your preferred spirit. Well, um, yeah, oh. I, I like umbrellas and drinks. So I'm the, uh, the ultimate cheap drunk and the ultimate um, fun drunk. And I very, very rarely drink, to be honest with you, because if I've got to um, substitute calories, I would probably, you know, if I had to choose between a cocktail and a cookie, I'd take the cookie. Gotcha. You mentioned a number of, of vodka fla- flavorings. What Can you give us a sample of what you guys are currently doing? Yeah. I think one of the most interesting ones is called Maelstrom. And it is a pepper pear vodka that we use to make Bloody Marys. And it, it's just the most interesting combination of sweet and savory. And then we use a, a Bloody Mary mix called the Real Dill. And it's dill juice based. And then we hit it and you're going to just think this is crazy with a spicy pineapple infusion. And so we have this Bloody Mary that's got dill, pepper, pineapple, and uh, pear in it. And it's amazing. How did you come up with that? Because that's interesting. So that goes back to my palate. I I create all the recipes and with my team and and the foods on our menu, and I create all our product lines. So, oh, wow. Okay. Um, I, I just get these. It's kind of in the idiot savant of blending. I get this idea of what I think. And we, we do try lots of different things, and some are more popular with the consumer and some less so. All right. Well, the, one of the questions I love to ask people is because you kind of let you kind of teed it up for me. What did you think was going to be popular with the consumer? And it wasn't. Oh man. There's been a bunch of mistakes I've made like, and I made one recently. Um, Okay. What's that? What's the recent mistake? Vermouth. Okay. Uh, We, and we just produced it and I haven't even, I haven't even, announced or advertised that it's out there but vermouth is an incredibly small niche and we make a terrific vermouth but i my winemaker and i we worked on this hard for a long time and analyzed and overanalyzed and i'm just not sure there's a real demand out there for um, a bunch more vermouth so i'm extremely proud of the product but my hunch is i'm in a um probably be disappointed with the sales. But Have you named it? Yes, it's called uh, Mercy and it's M-E-R-S-E-A. And okay. that's our, it's weird when you make vermouth because generally you think of red wine as dry and sometimes white wine is sweet. But with vermouth, the red vermouth is sweet and the white vermouth is dry. And then you use various botanicals to flavor it but it wants to have a heart of bitterness to it. And so it's super counterintuitive to everything else we do. And then it's used in cocktails and it, it creates um, the real depth and shading in a cocktail that makes it nuanced. And so um, I'm the one is called Gracie, G 
G-R-A-Y-S-E-A. And the other one's called Mercy. And a long time ago, we'd made ciders and one was called Grace and one was called Mercy. Um, so each of these has a, well, all of our wines have sculptures um, created by local artists that commemorate the label out in our garden. So we have 60 sculptures by local artists. And uh, that's just Gracie. Um, she is the new 12-foot uh, roadside attraction mermaid that uh, Yosef Adams did for us for the museum when we opened. Okay. How many acres approximately do you have in gardens now? About 15 acres in gardens and another five acres in, in buildings and parking. Wow. That's a lot of, that's a lot of gardens. It is. And I've got um, four or five full-time people that help me in the gardens. I used to do it myself, but I just can't do it anymore. Um, we want, would like to be the Bouchard Gardens of Washington state. And I know that a hundred years ago, everybody thought Jenny Bouchard was crazy and look what her vision brought. So we're on a hundred year, um, hundred years behind them. But our goal is to become that uh, destination garden for Washington state. I am on your website and there is a piece of art that is a metal cage filled with what look like to be glass floats. Mm -hmm. That is Johnny and Darlene from Opal Art Glass. Um, that is the float sculpture to commemorate the float wine. And I think there's about cool. 220 glass balls in there. And uh, some of my favorite photos, because I'm always shooting out in my gardens, are the different seasons with that sculpture. I've got one where we, ha we had an ice storm, and each of those floats is covered with ice. It's just magical. This is where I go down the rabbit hole. I'm looking at this, and it's this photo that I'm looking at is it's beautiful. How do you clean it? <laughs> Mother Nature. Okay, so just just the rain, mm -hmm. just rain and air dry. Yep. Rinse and okay. repeat. Rinse and repeat. Okay. I'm just looking at that going, I don't know how, I don't know what you would do with it. It's beautiful. I think it, how approximately how big is it? Cause it's hard to tell. It's about four feet in diameter. It's really large. That's very, it's very impressive. And it's right at the base of our lighthouse for us. When okay. we, when we built the winery, um, we wanted to recognize and identify that we're not in Tuscany we're not in France. There's not going to be a chateau. And uh, we decided to use the U.S. Coast Guard District 13 um, style of design, a little bit of that old Nantucket style and those colors. That's our color palette for our buildings. And I think it goes back to when I was a little, little kid being raised in Marysville. My mom and dad uh, raised the Pold Herefords and another farm that had pulled Herefords was Carnation Farms in addition to their dairy herd. And I remember just being so excited whenever there'd be a field day that we got to go up to Carnation Farms and they had these beautiful dairy buildings, these beautiful white buildings with the red roof. And that um, I think had a lot to do with why I elected to do these beautiful white buildings with red roofs and then the green wainscot because it, it was such a fond memory for me as a child. All right. Well, let's, let's circle back to the, the mermaid museum because that's how I was introduced to you was the, um, that you just opened this mermaid museum and 
I'd like, I think everyone would like to hear more about it. So how long did it take you to take this from inspiration to execution? Took about a year. Um, the first thing we did was we went to our attorney and had her draw up the paperwork to become a nonprofit in IRS uh, registered 501c3. And then I looked around the community and we decided to have 11 members of on our board of directors. And my daughter and I are two of the board members. And I looked around the community and I um, thought about women that I knew in prominent roles that I didn't know very well that weren't necessarily in my social circle, but I thought it'd be fun to get to know them better. And I asked them to be on my board of directors and they said, yes. So uh, it's a really remarkable uh, group of uh, smart, talented, and incredibly generous women that with a group of mermaids, like the Seattle mermaids and the, the Portland mermaids, they're called a pod. Um, but another way to call a group of mermaids is a gossip. And so our board, we call ourselves a gossip of mermaids. Um, and it includes uh, county planners, county commissioners, city council women, uh, automotive dealership owners, um, engineers, architects, just this really cool group that now we're actually, I get to call them my friends, which is a huge thing. And then they, um, they kind of turned me loose with the design. And one of the other gals is also an architect. So we collaborated um, and it's just, I don't know, we're so fortunate. So we were scheduled to break ground in March of, uh, of 2020. And as everybody knows, life stopped. So we, I used that time to get everything together. We broke ground in September of 2020, and I uh, was able to contract the building myself and had really good um, subcontractors that worked with me. And we were able to open on March 29th of 2021. That is International Mermaid Day. It also happened to be the anniversary of the winery. And the first week we had a lot of live mermaids there performing both um, the Seattle and Portland mermaids were extremely supportive to us. And they um, they came and, and helped us with the, the mermaid part of it. But again, we used my husband's underwater photography and uh, our, our friends in the dive and fishing industries. Cause I used to work on a fishing boat. They stepped up with all kinds of artifacts that they donated every time I had three gals helping me set up the displays and we'd look at each other and go, you know what we need? We need whatever it was. And within a day, someone would knock on the door and say, Hey, do you guys need this? So everything we wanted as an artifact for that museum, um, they came, came forward for us. So we felt it was uh, pretty, pretty cool. Whatever your, your belief system, it, you know, seemed like we had good support. Awesome. So what is, so it's, you've been open just about a month at the time of this recording. Yeah. Okay. Um, has everything gone smooth? Um, <laughs> mostly okay. uh, the, the artists and the contractors that um, did projects with me were amazing. And I, I can't thank them enough. Um, when I applied for some grants with Grace Harbor Tourism, 
I had to do projections of how many more visitors I thought I could bring to Grace Harbor, how many people we could get to stay an extra day. And, you know, I was really unsure. I thought, if I say 40, if I say I can get 40 people a day to visit, will, will they tell me I'm a big fat liar? Well, I'm just going to put that. And we're getting about 10 or 15 times that on a daily basis which that has been a huge surprise. So you're getting 400 plus people a day going to the mermaid museum. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How are they hearing about it? Shows like yours, um, word of mouth, the mermaid communities, but um, mermaid culture, mermaid lifestyle is incredibly popular, whether it's from children that saw the little mermaid and Ariel to my age that we saw Madison and Splash, um, to <laughs> modern TV shows like The Sirens that was allegedly set on the North Washington coast, to the Animal Planet um, in 2012 did what's called a mockumentary. Uh, and it was called Mermaids, the Body Found. It was the Moclips Mermaid, again, set on the North Washington coast. So we say we are the home of the Moclips Mermaid. And we look at each of these mermaids and, and tell their story. So with a, a display, for example, with Ariel, the famous Disney mermaid, based on the Hans Christian Andersen story, Ariel's best friend in the movie is a little fish called Flounder. And what we explain in the museum is that Flounder, even though that's his name, he's not a flounder. He's a royal angelfish. And we talk about what a real flounder looks like, whether it's a starry flounder or a halibut being the largest flounder. And we show graphically that the largest halibut can be as big as a polar bear. And then for those that want what's called a deep dive, we explain that halibut are born with eyes on both sides of their head. But because they're flat fish and live on the bottom through metamorphosis, one eye rotates around to the other side of the head. And on a starry flounder, it rotates one way. And on a halibut, it rotates the other. And so then we define what metamorphosis means. And so here we've gone from this rather old uh, to modern mermaid story to flounder to local fish and then the, the biology of the fish. So it's pretty cool. Wow. So whether you want to walk in and have a picture taken with a mannequin that looks like Ariel or you want to learn about what's the biggest flounder in the world, we cover that. Wow. I had no, no a concept of that. That's kind of mind boggling. Wow. So in your copious free time, mm -hmm. you know, cause you, you just sit around and Mo do mostly eating bonbons and watching soap yeah. operas. Mm -hmm. What else, what do you, what do you do for fun and excitement in the Westport area? Well, first off, like I said, Westport is my secret mistress. Um, and I, one of the reasons I love it is it's because it's a real fishing port. It's a working fishing marina. And so um, we have salmon trollers, tuna trollers, um, crab fishing uh, trawlers or draggers. And then we have uh, a small but exciting charter fleet still. And so for me, I just love driving down to the docks and checking out the boats and seeing who's catching what, and seeing who's in town and who's out on the ocean. And then Westport, um, 
you know, it was the salmon capital of the world back in the 70s and through a series of, you know, uh, legislative or not legislative, but um, restrictions. It, it does not, there is, I don't know if there is a salmon capital of the world anymore, but it's still just the most beautiful beach town. And I think everybody talks about the Oregon coast, but the Washington coast is so underappreciated and especially Westport. I love here in Grays Harbor County, we have the two um, prominent little coast cities, Ocean Shores and Westport. And Ocean Shores is special in its own right, but it's um, definitely a little more resorty. And Westport is just the real deal. Do you spend much time walking walking the beach line at all? I do. Um, I do when I can. I love rock collecting. I'm an avid agate hunter. And generally in times in my life when I've got extra stress, the beach is my cure. And I can go and spend hours out there focusing on finding shiny rocks. And it sounds like the most ridiculous thing, but the ocean definitely is, is part of my healing process. What maybe is the most interesting thing you've found while out on a beach walk? An agatized arrowhead that you just wouldn't think that you could find arrowheads out here on the beach still. And it, it, and it was made of agate and it just, it makes me think about, you know, the people um, that were living here and how, you know, some of their artifacts remain that, that just, and I found three of them. So it wasn't, wow. it wasn't just an oddity. It's just a reaffirmation that our, our local tribal communities have been here forever. A long time. Is there anything, and this is an unscripted question for you. So the answer might per, is perfectly okay if the answer is not at this time. Okay. But is there anything on the horizon for you guys? Anything you're going to do for, you know, that you care to share if there is, or, you know, no, it's fine. I love that question because you're not the first one that's asked me lately. Cause when you, you know, when people get to know me and they see the, the hot mess of, of ideas that shows up here, um, for a while, I just say, Hey, I'm just, I just got to get done with this mermaid museum, you know? Um, and the mermaid. Well, it's been a month. Yeah, I know. The mermaid <laughs> museum's done. Well, what am I doing sitting around? Um, I'm not sure, but I'm very excited to discover what that is. Okay. You know, these, um, I'm not much in control of my ideas and opportunities, but it makes life really exciting and fun. Wherever the muse takes you, you mm -hmm. will follow. And to have two business partners like my husband and my daughter that um, they back my plays. That's everything. You know, you could be the most talented person in the world unless you have someone it's willing to back your play. You're just talk. Okay. Well, we can wrap this up. I'd like you to share, you know, kind of have the final word, but kind of tell people where they can find more about all of your ventures. And yeah, last word is yours. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate all your time and your good questions. And you make an interview seem like we're hanging out in your living room, just visiting. And that makes it a lot less scary. So good job. Um, Westport Winery, Ocean's Daughter Distillery, the Sea Glass Grill, and the International Mermaid Museum are located about halfway between Westport and Aberdeen 
on the Washington coast. Um, they're in the middle of nowhere. You know, when I told you how I, I do these trips, I love go to the place in the middle of nowhere. Cause I think that's where the best stories happen. And that's mm-hmm. what makes our place interesting. Even though we have the name winery in the name, it's a family friendly property. And we encourage families that with the, with the gardens, there's also uh chess, disc golf, executive golf, petanque, horseshoes, and outdoor scrabble. So there's stuff for everybody to do. Um, We're open daily 11 to 6. And I think a lot of times in coastal communities, you find, um, you show up and there's a sign on the door that says, be back in five minutes or five days or five weeks. And that was (laughs) one of our, one of our commitments to our community was, um, that will be open. So sometimes in the winter, it's a little bit lonely, but um, it was the right it was the right choice because I think you really need that commitment in order to create a vibrant um, economic community. And that's been a, a challenge for us in Grace Harbor. When we look back at those days, the heydays of salmon fishing, it was you know a ten or or fifteen week season, and then the town had empty out, and it did not create a stable economy. So I'm really encouraged as more people choose to stay open more often, but nonetheless, um, of course, all of uh, the museum and the winery are on the internet, uh, westportwinery.com or mermaidmuseum.org. I encourage people to follow us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, because that's where we um, post upcoming events, uh, special classes, mermaid performances, sculpture unveilings, you know, there's always a little something new going on. And uh, gosh, I, I think that's everything. Did I forget anything? I don't think you did. I think that's a pretty encompassing uh, list of places to find you. We also, and, you know, I mean, it's just what, nothing better. Oh, wait, to, there's more. Yeah. We, <laughs> we also have a vacation rental home in Seaside, Oregon. That's um, a person can find on our website. And I know this is explore Washington, but that's our family's uh, vacation home. And we share okay. it with others and we're maybe adding four RV spaces here at the winery. Oh, okay. So that's a possibility in the future. Yeah. In the next week or so. Oh, okay. The near future. Yeah. Very good. And how would people be able to find those? Um, are you going to? That'll be up on our website as well. And those will, um, it'll have a link to Airbnb. And okay. those um, those will have uh, water, power, Wi-Fi, no sewer. So they need to be self-contained. And because they are uh, located between uh, my husband's and my house and my daughter's house, it's um, not really suitable for children or pets. It's for uh, adults only because our our dogs and horses and goats and cats um, are a little, uh, they want to retain some personal space of their own. There we go. I love it. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this and I wish you immense success in the museum. I can't wait to get over there and take a look at it because I would have gone to look at Ariel and now I, now I'm going to find out about halibut in their eyes. I just kind of, I, I know wow, it's pretty that's cool. cool. Yeah, I had no idea about that. I look forward to your visit. Um, Thank you so much. This has been really, really fun. I appreciate it. All right.
Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.